This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. morning Coopersville Reform and uh, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun day yesterday for my family. Uh, we had to open up our stockings, uh, unwrap the presents underneath the trees and it was great uh, to watch my kids do that. They don't need any, any prompting from us. They don't need to know what to do when that presents open. In fact, when we open our presents, we usually take turns uh, going from the youngest to the oldest. And usually by the time it gets back to the first one, they've already got their present unpackaged and they're already playing with it. Um, and here it is, December 26th, right? We've also um, been leading up to Christmas as a church and, and spiritually in our own lives with Advent, we've been waiting um, and preparing our hearts for that great gift of Christ. And Friday, we had an incredible service, um, that Christmas Eve service, where we un- unwrapped uh, the gift of Jesus Christ in our life. So Merry Christmas. But today is December 26th. You ever wonder what, what pastors are thinking, you know, leading up to, to Christmas, and then they get to to December 26th, and they say, what's next, right? Well, this morning, I would like to to answer that. Turn, if you would, to your Bibles, to Philippians 4, 10 through 20. And I'll have it up on the screen as well for you this morning. This is Paul's letter to the Philippians, and he's kind of ending it up right here. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this, through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough and amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, uh, a number of weeks ago, John asked me if I would preach on this section. I said yes, obviously, but uh, um, my first thought was, didn't we just have a sermon on this? Right? When, we, when we look at this section of Scripture, my eyes are drawn right away to the part where talk, Paul talks about being content in all circumstances, how we can do things all things through Christ who strengthens us. And sure enough, a year ago to the day, that's what this sermon was about. And if we were to take that out of, out of the verses that I read this morning, it looks a lot like how Paul ends every other letter. Kind of a, thanks for doing this, and here's a few last pieces of advice, and may the Grace be with you, right? Isn't that how he ends all of his letters? And, uh, and so I, I struggled a little bit to say, what, what am I going to preach about? But the more I looked into it, the more I found that this message is an important message for us today. You know, when I was in the military, we did the convoy security and we did something that's called a, a 525. And basically, when our convoy had to stop, the first thing we would do while we were in the truck is we would look around at everything five feet around us. And then we'd get out of the truck, but then we'd look around at everything 25 feet around us. And it was just to have a good situational awareness whenever, whenever our convoy has to stop for an extended time. And so here we are, we're stopped in chapter four. And maybe we need to just look around. What's going on around us? So often you hear the phrase context, context, right? Uh, when you read the Bible. And I always thought, you know, just what's going on in the world then? You know, who's he preaching to? But, but like when we look at the, the scriptures, it's divided into to verses and chapters and and even like paragraphs, right? And sometimes that stops us from just looking around and saying, what's going on around me? So when I do that, I start to notice some things. When I start to look at the book of Philippians, I start to notice some words popping out. Now, rejoicing and joy, we've been told, is told a lot in Philippians, and I would agree with that. But there's another word that I would like, like you to take a look at, and that's imitating. Paul uses that quite a bit. In, uh, in chapter two, he talks about, he tells them to think the same way, have the same joy, share the same feelings, focus on the same goal, right? In, five, in uh, two verse five, he says to have the same attitude. He says, in 18, uh, to rejoice in the same way. And he says again, to think the same way and to join in him in imitating. And then in uh, 4 verse 9, he tells them to do what they've learned, received, and heard and seen in him. 
the book of Philippians, Paul is giving the Philippians a template for what to do next. They have received Christ, and it's December 26. What do you do next? And, and this isn't just for the Philippians from Paul. This is what Paul has learned. And this is what Paul has learned from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is also what Christ passed down to his disciples for them to imitate. And this is also for us to imitate. So let's, if Paul's given us a template, let's take a look at that template that Paul gave to the Philippians. So the first thing that Paul tells them to imitate is looking to the Lord. In uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says to the Philippians to fulfill his joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, and sharing the same feelings and focusing on one goal. What are those thoughts that he has been uh, um, thinking about that he's asking them to imitate. Those thoughts are to look to the Lord. He's in jail at this time, uh, in prison, for preaching the gospel. And uh, he mentions that in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He says that his imprisonment is for Christ. And he's rejoicing while he's there because Christ is being proclaimed. And in uh, Chapter 1, verse 21, he says that famous uh, verse, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. From his perspective, he's focusing on the Lord. If he lives, the Lord's will will be done and the gospel will be furthered. But if he dies, he's with Christ. Both, both scenes are, uh, are looking at Christ. But Paul also gives us examples uh, from his own life for, for the church in Philippi to, to imitate. If you remember, back in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, Paul was with Silas, and they wanted to go to Macedonia. Or they wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said no, and he got a, a vision from the Holy Spirit that he needed to go to Macedonia. So he does and while he's there, he meets Lydia, and they end up baptizing her. And then they meet um, uh, another woman who had a demon in her, and they cast out that demon. Macedonia is another name for Philippi. So this is all happening right in front of them. And then after that demon was cast out, Paul and Silas were beaten and sent to prison for that. And while they were there, Paul um, and Silas at the, at the midnight hour were heard singing songs and hymns and praying to the Lord. They're, they were not focusing on what was going on around them. They were not focusing on making a jailbreak, but they were focused on the Lord, and everyone heard that. But this example is not just from not just from Paul, but I believe that he was imitating what he learned from our Lord Jesus Christ. 
After all, Jesus Christ, as he did his ministry, would often say, I'm not here to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You could always find him uh, going aside to pray to the Lord and spending time doing that. And right before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, while he was sweating drops of blood, what were his, his words? Not my will, but yours. Right? Christ was looking to the Father and not his circumstances. In John chapter 15, maybe you could open up your Bibles to there. Uh, this is right before the Garden of the Gethsemane. This is probably minutes right before that. Jesus is telling his disciples to look to the Lord. He's giving them some last words before he's going to be crucified on what they should do to imitate him. And he starts out chapter 15 by telling them to remain in him, to focus on him, to remain in me and I will remain in you. Just remain in me and, uh, and let my words remain in you. He says this on a number of occasions when he's talking about the vine and the branches. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Focus on him. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my command, or I've kept my Father's command and remain in his love. He's giving that example for us to follow and imitate him. So if we're looking at Paul and imitating him, what, uh, what can we do as a church to look to the Lord? I, I think these are pretty easy things. One uh, would be through prayer, right? What do we do with our time? Are we spending it looking to the Lord and seeking out his will in prayer? Are we, are we going to his word and meditating on what he says and what his will is? And and uh, is our heart an obedient heart towards what he wants? When we're driving around and listening to music, what, what are we focusing on? Those are just ways that we can turn our attention to the Lord. But the more that we turn our attention to the Lord and what his will is, the next thing we'll be doing is looking at others. And that's Paul's next example that he gives to the Philippians. In chapter two, right after he's talking about looking to the Lord and focusing on him, he says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not only look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he gives the example to make your attitude like that of Christ Jesus. Not long after Paul writes that to the Philippians, in verse 19, he says that he's hoping to send Timothy to them because no one else is like-minded who will genuinely care about their interests. Paul's next step is for us to, to look at others while looking at the Lord. And he does this before their very eyes. Remember, Remember how in Acts, 
Paul was in jail in Macedonia with, with Silas. And here they are. They're, they're praying and singing songs at midnight. And then the earthquake happens. And all the chains of, of everyone that was in there were broken. And uh, the jailer comes in, calls for lights, and he's about ready to kill himself. And Paul stops him from doing that and says that we're all right here. And then he presents the gospel after the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? Ever put yourself in that situation? What if all of a sudden your chains were broken and the doors were open while you're in prison? I think a lot of us, if we were looking at what our own interests would be, we'd be getting out of there, right? I would be. Paul's not looking at his interests, though. He's looking at the interests of that guard. He's sticking around in the prison so that he may be saved. Later on, Paul, uh, Paul even saves his household. But like I said, Paul's been imitating as well. You've noticed a pattern. I'm kind of going from Philippians to, to Paul to Christ Jesus. It helps me remember what I'm going to say next, but hopefully it helps you remember what I'm going to say as well so that we can imitate that pattern. Remember how I said to stick your, your thumb in John 15, right? I had just gotten done saying that Jesus was telling his disciples that uh, if you follow his commands, then, uh, then you will remain in him. Right after that, he says that his commands are to love one another. The whole next section of John 15 talks about loving one another. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' focus was not on himself. Obviously, as he went to the cross, Jesus' focus was on the, the sins of the world, of, of us, right? And he's telling his disciples, as, as he's finished washing their feet, that if you want to focus on him and do his commands, then you need to love one another and look out for others' interests. Jesus says, this is my command, love each other. There's some good opportunities that we have as a church to look out for each other's needs. What an incredible opportunity we've seen this morning from Mary, this hand-to-hand, of looking out for the needs of our community. I think, you know, even just uh, praying for others. Um, where's our attention when we pray? Is it on what we need? Is it on what others need? Um, there's, uh, there's Kids Hope. That's another good opportunity. There's lots of opportunities that we have to look at what the needs are of our community, both physically and spiritually. And small groups are a good way to get us warmed up to that, but I think we need to look outside of the walls of our church as well. 
Well, when we focus on what the Lord's will is and what others' needs are before our own, we're going to be called to suffer in sacrifice. And, uh, and Paul asks us to imitate him as well, suffering and sacrificing. In Philippians 1, verse 29, Paul says this. He says, For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now have. And I want to say this to you as well. I should have made this slide say, um, suffer and sacrifice with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because um, if we haven't unwrapped the gift of Christ, we can't expect to use that gift, right? Um, if we are, are expecting to look to the Lord, look to others, and suffer and sacrifice um, on our own, then we would be boasting in our own works. And uh, we just can't do that without a changed heart. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 3 as well. But he also says um, that uh, he has been, uh, sorry, that his goal is to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And that's why he's in chains right now. But he's had an example for the Philippians as well. Right? When we go back to Acts 16, Paul, he's in jail for the Philippians. Right? He's called to suffer for their sake so that they would be saved. And I think it's interesting, too, that Paul, after he has, has had his chains broken, he's still there in the prison the next morning because he knew that that jailer would have a death sentence for prisoners escaping. And I gotta imagine, he went back into suffering after, after he was released from his chains. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ definitely knew about suffering. He was, he was beaten and he was scourged and crucified for our sake. But from John 15, moments before all that happened, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And after he talks to them about remaining in him, focusing on the Lord and loving one another, he does tell them, that greater love has no one than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. And then he tells them in verses 18 and into, into chapter 16 that they will be persecuted, that the world will hate them, that they will have great sorrow. In West Michigan, we'd be pretty hard-pressed to go to jail for, uh, for speaking the name of Jesus Christ. We live in a, in a pretty fortunate area where 
the kind of suffering that Paul did or the kind of suffering that Christ and the apostles had, we're probably not going to see that. But, but Paul talks about how our flesh is at war with, uh, with the Lord. And maybe, maybe we suffer a little bit when we have to go and talk to somebody. Maybe we suffer a little bit when our body says, no, I'm not going to confess that to my wife. And we suffer when we actually do that. Maybe it's out of our comfort zone to give, to give financially, to give of our time, to give up our control. There's a lot of good opportunities that we have for suffering. I want to give an example that I, I got to see this week about suffering. It was on my heart, I believe from the Holy Spirit, to witness to somebody very close to me. And I knew where he stood. I knew that he, he would reject Christ. And as we're alone in the car together, and uh, I ask him about what his plans are, the words that he said were like knives to my heart as he, as he talked about how he doesn't believe in Christ or the words of the Bible, that it's just made up stories. And uh, I got back home and Casey, she could tell what happened. And um, I'll tell you what, it has, uh, it has given me a desire to pray more earnestly for him you know, Paul's in jail, and uh, he could be crying about being beaten. He could be crying about being chained with somebody else. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he's not crying about that. He says, join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example that you have in us. For I've often told you, and I now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I think I can relate a little bit to Paul. Paul wasn't crying about the physical wounds that he had. He was crying for those, those that are lost. And I'd be willing to bet that we've all got somebody close to us that God might be pressing on you to suffer a little bit and bring up that subject of Jesus Christ, even if you know where that's going to lead. Well, if this sounds like the worst Christmas present ever to get, <laughs> then maybe we're looking at things the wrong way. Maybe we're looking at our circumstances rather than looking forward to the joy and to the glory that's ahead of us. And that's what Paul does next. In, uh, in Philippians, Paul's goal is to uh, become more and more like Jesus Christ. 
in 3, verse 7 and 10, Paul, Paul says that he is, um, everything that is, is uh, his gain for him is a loss for Christ. And in 1, verse 21, and 3, verse 10 and 11, Paul explains that his goal is to be like Christ. In verse 21, he looks, he looks forward to be transformed into his likeness. He focuses not on the earthly things, but on the things of heaven. And he tells the Philippians to join in imitating him in that. He says, do what you've learned and received in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Focus on whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable. Paul gives an example in that story where he was in jail of focusing on the greater things. He was not focused on a jailbreak. He was focused on their salvation. The jailer called for lights and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul, Paul tells him the gospel. What a great goal to, to have. But Paul was imitating Jesus Christ as well. Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, keeping our eyes on Christ, the source and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. When, when Jesus would tell his disciples about his coming death, he would always tell them that he would be resurrected, right? He was always looking forward to that prize. And, and Paul talks about that in Philippians 2, doesn't he? When, when uh, he said that Christ, um, being obedient, went to the cross, it says, for this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name so that everyone would bow at the, at the feet of Jesus Christ. But while we have our thumbs at John, 14, uh, John 15 and 16, after Jesus got done telling his disciples that they would be sorrowful and persecuted, he tells them that their grief will turn to joy. They're sad because he's going away, but he says, you will see me again. And at the end of chapter 16, he's told them, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. These are things that we can do as well to focus on the prize ahead. This week, I got a glimpse of seeing the prize ahead. I got to have lunch with a, with a friend who has put up a wall against Jesus Christ. He's told me before, I'll never be converted. And he's been having questions. He's come to me and he says, Stephen, I've got some questions for you about your faith. 
And this week I got to talk to him about that. And we didn't end up in saying a sinner's prayer at the, at the table over lunch. But there was a little joy that I got to feel as I saw God put in some cracks in that wall. When I would talk about the love that we have, when I would tell him my testimony, his countenance would change and he would say things like, I've never, never thought that way before. There is joy that we can look forward to. If we're looking at our suffering and our circumstances, maybe we're looking at the wrong things. Maybe we need to be focused on what's ahead. We can also find joy in seeing these happen to other people. So why is Paul rejoicing at the end of chapter 4? Let's just take a look once again at that, at 10 through 20. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I could do all this through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more to be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied, and now I have received from Ephrodites the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. What's Paul rejoicing in? I think he's rejoicing because they get it. They understood what he was talking about. They were doing that. They were focusing on the Lord and the gospel mission. They were focusing on what Paul needed and sending him gifts. They even sent him Epaphroditus. And they shared in his sufferings, Paul says, especially this Epaphroditus who, who uh, was nearly dead when he came to Paul. And they were looking ahead to the prize, the, the gospel of salvation. I want to just quick read a little something else about the Philippians from 2 Corinthians 8. It's just a few verses, but it's to show this point as well. Paul's telling the Corinthians, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the church of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify to you that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. You know, if we were using this December 26 analogy 
Yesterday, my son asked me, Papa, what was your favorite gift? And I said to him, it was actually just watching you kids open your gifts. I think that's what Paul is rejoicing in, and watching his kids open their presents. They didn't just unwrap Jesus and put him up on the mantle, but they're like my son who's playing with his present before he even gets to the next one. Coopersville Reform, we're in a pretty good position here. Remember how we started out today's sermon with that 525, look around you. Look around you, church. I don't remember our church being in a position quite like what we're in now. In this service, especially, there's so many of us that have deep roots in our faith. Can I even say some, some years in our faith? And we're also at a position in our church where there's a lot of new people And if Paul is finding joy in the church imitating him, I also believe that God's finding joy in the church in Philippi imitating him. And I would would also believe that God would find joy in us imitating him. Bennett Bassett, my friend, reminded me of uh, something that Dr. Tony Evans would say that you need to have a mentor before you, someone to run alongside you, and a disciple that you're working on behind you. What a great position we're in for that. I would like to challenge you. Who are you mentoring? And if you're new to the faith, like, who are, who's mentoring you? Let's pray.